All right, well, it is a pleasure to be with you guys again. Ike told me that I would have the ability to actually, I went, when I found out to preach, I went up to Ike, I'm like, so what's a sermon series when, uh, when I have to preach this time? And he's like, oh, there's no series, you're, you're like the filler until we do the next thing. I'm like, oh, really? This is really cool, because then I get to choose my, what I get to preach about, right? So here comes a, th- uh, a bunch of ideas. Oh, oh, what can I do? And what does God want me to speak on? And I've always been fascinated with this concept of kingdom. So I'm like, you know what? That's going to be it. So I started doing my research. I started doing anything. And, and when I was at the point of no return, you know, the point where it's like you can't really uh, switch your topic, uh, I, I realized that I was a bit in over my head when I really started looking at, at the kingdom and, and the weight of it. And the first thing that came to my head is, what did I get myself into? Because the kingdom is a lot more than what we give it credit for. We're going to explore that a little bit. And I'm going to have the pleasure and the honor of doing that. When, we, when I ask people what, what they think Jesus came into the world for, you will get a, a whole spectrum of different answers. A lot of answers will be to seek and save the lost. Uh, some of it will be to reveal God to us. Uh, some of them will say to provide us with a model for being fully human. And some will say to defeat the demonic spirits of the world. There's lots of answers, and they're not necessarily false. Uh, these are all wonderful answers, but one thing I think we often forget that is in three synoptic gospels, Jesus tells us that he has come first and foremost to declare The kingdom of God is at hand. That in itself should make us think, wow, it's a lot of effort to make this kingdom idea big. The kingdom theme is all over the place. The word kingdom itself shows up 55 times in Matthew, 20 times in Mark, 46 times in Luke, and 5 times in John. The kingdom of God isn't just important. It was the central theme of Jesus' teaching. Mark makes this very clear when he he introduced Christ onto the scene. He said in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15, says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Many of us know about the kingdom. Few of us, though, ponder on it. it. and what it means. We pray it all the time. And I'm reminded of that every time we go to South Shore. And it's really cool hearing a bunch of little children praying such a powerful prayer. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just, God, you're, you're immeasurable. You are holy. You are worthy, right? Uh, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right after exalting God, we invite the reign of God to come down. That's a huge deal. Do we mean what we say when we say those words in a prayer? You see, God is still in the business of reconciling earth to him. He's still in that business. He didn't jump ship and take off and say, oh, it's too late for them. The sin has just infected the world. Let's just focus on heaven. He hasn't given up. He's still in the business of reconciling earth to heaven. While most of us Christians are in the business of getting off of this rock 
as fast as we can. I think that oftentimes we have this unhealthy focus on eternity where that we, we put on these blinders. We have what I call the, the pie in the sky when we die syndrome. So often we, we focus on the life after death where there's nothing really wrong with it, but when that dictates um, where our main focus is, then there's a problem. It's because we lose sight of the here and now on earth. We're so busy focusing on the mansions and the promises that we get in Scripture. I remember in high school, I was in the library. I had a, one of my peers come up to me and say, Peter, you're a Christian, right? And I'm like, uh, yes, I am. <sighs> I got a question for you. I'm thinking here, first thing is like, oh, my goodness. This is going to be my first person I get to lead to Jesus. I'm getting all excited. This is going to be cool, you know. And I'm trying to think of all the questions he could ask and all the answers I could come up with. And he asked me, are we going to have jet skis in heaven? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, uh, I have no idea. I would like to think that God is a little bit beyond jet skis. Uh, because for him, he wanted to know if it was worth it. He wanted to know what was out there so that he could build up to that point. He was focused on that. And I don't know where he's at now. I, I didn't get in touch with him. I don't know if the jet ski thing happened for him. But uh, I, I couldn't help but think of where our focus is at. We're so busy focusing on these mansions that we often fo- uh, lose focus of what's going on here. We tell ourselves that... Uh, that we can have all these things as long as we put up with the injustices, the inadequacies, the, the present-day socioeconomic order to pretty much keep your head down and just go through life as fast as we can until we get to heaven. I believe this is the most unchristian-like mentality you can have. But Jesus taught us to focus on the here and now. All of his parables had to do, had to, uh, everyone could relate with. It was with what was going on because the here and now is close to the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is not a place on earth. It's not a country. There have been many people who have gone out of their way to force the kingdom of heaven here on earth with human strength. Whether it be Jerusalem during the Crusades or the United States of America. Many people see the, U, the, the USA as being like God's country. God, the God of history ordained the US. People have ventured to think that the implementing policies, ethical governments, um, so on and so forth, introduces the kingdom on earth. I would beg to differ. I, I don't really see that in scripture. At the turn of the 20th century, in the 1900s, many people preached that the kingdom of God could be ushered into the world without the return of Christ, through human effort. People were very optimistic. They believed that the evolutionary process will bring us onward and upward, and that if we continue on this path, soon selfishness and lust, all the things that gave us so many problems would soon just vanish away, and then we would reach this this. Utopian, this, this perfection. And then World War I happened. And it popped that bubble. It revealed the inherent evil in our humanity. 
This burst a lot of bubbles and caused much confusion in how we viewed the world. After both the world wars, we started believing that progress on earth was impossible. Why, why even try? The kingdom of heaven cannot be forced by humans. We often repeat the mistake the first century Jews made in believing that the kingdom of God is a tangible nation of people, similar to what the Israel of the Old Testament would have believed. However, the scriptures say that, that there would always be wars and rumors of wars, according to Mark 13, 7, and we would always have the poor with us, Matthew 26, 11. After World War II, whether you are a fundamentalist, dispensationalist, a Mennonite, an uh, evangelical, it doesn't matter, chances are you would have adopted the view that the world was a sinking ship, that time and efforts were better spent on trying to get people off of the ship and saved before it goes under, rather than focus on bringing the peace and justice on the ship and prepare for Christ's return. Many Christians still believe that to this day. And I, to this day, still struggle with it, too. It's hard not to when you're bombarded with, with so much bad news that the world is getting worse and worse. And a lot of people believe that it's going to be so bad that God will just have no, just get totally fed up and, and eventually just go and release his judgment on the world because it's just, it's just getting so bad. The only problem with this is how much bad news could really be the good news. Many people still choose to place their focus on pessimistic perspectives on, on this life on earth. I will also th- say that uh, I find it's a bit of a, a cultural, it's a tendency for cultural Mennonites to also adopt this mentality, the sort of keep the, keep the world out. We have an unhealthy view of, of the scripture that says being in the world but not of the world. Because if you really take that scripture apart, if anything, it's, it's actually encouraging us to be more mission-minded than anything. Because we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We adopt God's heart, and in doing so, we love God as a result. And we love our neighbors when we have his heart. John fifteen nineteen says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world is not going to see eye to eye with your view of life. I remember uh, going to my parents' house. Uh, when I lived in my parents' house, even when, after I got married, we never missed a chance to abuse our privileges to use our uh, uh, my parents' neighbor's pool. We always go to their pool. We hang out there, and a lot of times we, we talk with the neighbors, and, and uh, they're, they're, not, they're not believers. And I remember one time, the lady started talking to me about future endeavors, and she asked me uh, what I was doing with my life. And I had told her that I was going to Bible college. And so she's trying to make conversation, trying to wrap her mind around there, and she said, oh, well, what do you... What do you do at Bible college? Just learn the Bible and stuff? What are you going to do with that? And well, I'm, I'm hoping to, to become a youth pastor. And she's like, is there, a, is there good money in that? I'm like, <laughs> not that I know of. And she's just trying to, 
she just looked at me, she's like, isn't that kind of stupid? And see, for her, that's what it was. It didn't make sense. She has no idea what, what the, the, the mission, the, the privilege of leading young people to Christ. You can put a price tag on that. Can you put a price tag on what God is doing? Absolutely not. And to, for people not connected to this, trying to wrap their mind around it, it's not going to make sense. As a matter of fact, they're going to hate you for it. You're a threat to their way of life. But you cannot contain God's love. You can't. It just, just pours out. We are aliens here. We don't belong here. We, uh, our home is in heaven. As Christians, we have a different standard. The kingdom has a different standard. You enter it like a child. The first shall be last. And once you find it, like a, like a pearl in a field, you will go and you're going to sell everything so you can come back, buy the field, and have that pearl because you know how much it's worth. What is your worldview? How do you see everything? Do you tend to look through the lens of pessimism? Or do you hold to an optimistic view of life? Your worldview affects the way you read the scriptures. It affects your theology. It's the glasses that you put on. Do you have kingdom glasses on? Do you believe that the kingdom is near? If you have seen, if you have eyes to see, you will notice that, that there is something different in the air. There's something different in the atmosphere. There's something stirring in the church today that wasn't there earlier. You don't have to go far to see it. God is raising up a generation that sees faith not about going up when you die, but about bringing God's kingdom to earth. It's about bringing justice. God is all over justice. You want to know where God's heart is? Take a look at, just, take a look at justice. Poverty is a result of injustice. Poverty exists not because we don't have enough food on earth. It's because humanity hasn't quite grasped the concept of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's no accident that poverty is mentioned over 2,100 times in scriptures. It's no accident. It's a lot of airtime. It exists because, yep. And, and on a side note too, homosexuality is mentioned all of three times in the whole Bible. Yeah, how much airtime do we give subjects like that? Just to maybe vis- visually see the the gravity of the injustice that there is in this world and and sort of beckoning us to stand up and and maybe act against it. I'm going to do a quick little object lesson here just to give us some perspective. I did the math, and there are, they say, 25,000 people dying every single day because of poverty and, and, and suffering. Okay, I have right here one pound of rice. This bag of rice holds 24,000 little granules. I didn't count them. I I had someone else do the math for me, okay? So try to visualize each and every grain of rice being one human. Each and every grain of rice is made in the image of God, and every single one of these matters to God. It says that when one person accepts 
Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's, uh, angels are rejoicing. So think of the stock there is in every single human. Now imagine every day, this is what's happening in the world. These people are perishing physically. That's injustice. And that is what we have to do with. The whole world is waiting to see what the church is going to do. And I don't want to spend too much time on this topic. I don't want to throw stats out there because after a while, that can just get heavy, right? However, we also need to uh, also uh, remark on, on the uh, amount of work we have been doing with poverty. I, I've heard it said that in the last uh, several years, we have cut poverty on earth in half, which is incredible. And it's still going because because people are stepping up, people are acting, and people are spreading justice in the world. I like what Bono says about that. Bono says that where you live should not, de- uh, should not determine whether you live. So there is a lot of work we can do. I just gave one example, which is poverty. There's, there's a lot more. There's human trafficking. There's everywhere you go. And these, are, these are huge issues in the world, but there's issues here too as well. I believe that the kingdom fights against these issues. God is on the move. And if you remember Alex being here, I don't know if you guys caught this, but I did. And it really allowed me to see the atmosphere of the church and see how things are different now. One of the most conservative churches in the world are the Old Colony Church. And most of us are are familiar with uh, when I say the word old colony. The old colony church in Shipyard, I had the privilege of, of seeing some of the schools and my friend is a missionary there and I got to visit some of them there. <clears throat> They're seen as very conservative. They don't have rubber on their tires. They have no electricity. They're conservative on steroids, right? And so I have the privilege of seeing this and, and, uh, and I remember Alex being here speaking about how people are stepping up and partnering up with them in terms of uh, doing mission work with the inner city children. It just so happens that the old colony, out of the blue, decided to step up and get involved with this ministry. And that is a huge deal because other ministries who consider themselves less conservative are looking at this saying, wow, the old colony is stepping up and they're in the front lines. They're partnering up with this uh, children's ministry and, and they're, they're enrolling children and they're, they're partnering up with this discipleship program and they're doing kingdom work. That's incredible. And that to me tells me something is going on. Something is changing. God is on the move. The kingdom is breaking in. We need to continue pressing on towards the kingdom, towards to become what Jesus is calling us to be. Philippians 3:13 to 14 says, "Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." Romans uh, chapter 8 verses 18 to 16. It's really stuck out to me. It spoke to me when I read this. Let me share it with you. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for what, 
for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Did you catch that? The creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All creation is waiting, waiting to see what you're going to do. You have the gift of salvation. What are you doing with it? Are you breaking in the kingdom? You know, I remember this, um, uh, this Pixar movie called uh, Incredibles. I remember this one scene. It's, uh, it's about this family, a superhero family, a superpowers. And they, they have to be, um, they have to pretend like they're normal, right? They're supposed to suppress the gifts and the, the supernatural power that they've been given and try to be normal. So the, the big dad superhero is an insurance broker, and, uh, and he gets really frustrated. He's not doing what he was meant and designed to do. He comes home, and he, he opens a door, and he's so strong, he bends the door, and he goes to close it, but it wouldn't close because he bent the steel because he got super strength. He keeps closing. He gets so frustrated, he slams it, and then the glass shatters, at which point he totally loses it, picks up the car, he's about to do something, and then there's a little kid on a tricycle right there. And there's an awkward moment where he sort of turns puts the car back down, and then walks away. And throughout the whole movie, there's this little kid in the tricycle sitting outside that house, just waiting. And at one point, the dad looks at the kid and says, what are you waiting for? And the kid's like, I don't know, something amazing. (laughs) That's what creation is doing to Christians. What are you waiting for, creation? I'm waiting for you to do something cool. Jesus gave you the green light. You know, you could, you could join youth ministry. You can get involved in Sunday school teaching. You can do something. You can make a difference. Waiting for something amazing to happen. There's a lot of kingdom work for us to do. Poverty, human trafficking, disease, Sunday school teaching, youth ministry, deacon work. Philippians 1.6 says that... Uh, The one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ. You know, seeing all the work that needs to be done, you can get really discouraged really fast. You know, you can hear stories and say, oh boy, wow, that's bad. Whoa, oh, we got so much work to do. And it can be daunting. I love this verse because it's a, hey, don't worry about it. Christ is going to take your work He's going to complete it. I think my girls have caught on to that. I taught my, my daughters to, to clean up, right? So what they do is they start cleaning up. But they know that after a while, I get impatient. I jump in there. I got long, I got long reach. I got long arms. And what they do is they're like, woo, and they sort of just sneak away. Let me finish it. And when I'm all done, I look around. They're gone playing with something else, Right? Because they know that whatever they start, daddy's going to bring to completion, which isn't always a good thing in my situation. But in regards to the world, that's what's happening. And that's encouraging. The kingdom is breaking in. And when Jesus comes again, he will bring the fullness of this kingdom. Try to see it this way. In uh, 1940, 1944, in France, 
the Nazis controlled all of France. And there were a, a lot of very stubborn French people, the resistance against, and they worked underground. Of course, they're outnumbered, outgunned in every way, shape, or form. But that didn't stop these Frenchmen. Absolutely not. They, 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 they had their, their weapons. They did everything underground. And the, the small little acts of war that they did uh, against Germany, they didn't fight. They didn't push them back. But what they did do is they disrupted and they distracted the Germans as they were trying to get their roots into France. Little did they know that in, in the English Channel was being devised the largest fleet, the largest military resistance to ever take place in the history of humanity. And they would, on D-Day, hit the beaches of Normandy and flood all of Europe and take out all of the Nazi regime. In many ways, we are like that French resistance here on earth. We're doing work, and we will not be able to measure up to, to what, to, to the damage that sin has done. But little do we know, there is a fleet of God's glory that will come and engulf the earth when Jesus returns, and He will finish what we started. That is an awesome encouragement. Allowing God to reign is a dangerous wish. It's a dangerous notion. It calls us to live with these different standards. It calls us to hurt for our generation so painfully that we have no problem making earthly sacrifices because it's the cost of loving your neighbor. Mother Teresa understood that pretty well. Uh, Shane Claiborne uh, served with Mother Teresa and they would worship every day. And during this worship period, everyone would have to take off her shoes Well, he looked over and saw Mother Teresa's shoes, and her feet were very deformed. And uh, he never said anything, because that'd be kind of awkward. Hey, Mother Teresa, what's with the feet, you know? And so then one time someone came up to him and said, hey, have you noticed Mother Teresa's feet? He says, yeah. What's going on with that? Well, we get donated, we have shoes donated to our ministry, and we only have just enough We only have just enough for every person. So before anyone has a chance to look at it, Mother Teresa hurries over there and picks out the worst shoes possible so that she can endure the the pain of having bad shoes. As a result, her feet over time have gotten deformed. What a beautiful picture of loving your neighbor. She understands what it means to, to do kingdom work with the kingdom heart. God is present. And one day his kingdom will come in its fullness. But until then, we have the undeserving pleasure, the undeserving pleasure of spreading the kingdom now already to the work of his son Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow God to establish that reign with you personally first. If you're here and you want to be a part of this movement and you're not sure, don't know, or maybe you know for sure, that you're not on board with the love of Jesus and with the grace that he has for you to be clear of all sins, I invite you, I encourage you to accept him into your heart, to make that life-changing experience. And if you want to talk to somebody, 
I'm available. We got, a, we got our staff is here. We've got Ike over here. If you want to talk to somebody, let us know. We'd be more than than happy to 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 walk with you on this. God desires a relationship with you, and He could, desires to have you work kingdom work. Let us have a kingdom mi- mindset with that. Let's pray, Lord God. We pray that your kingdom comes. Lord God, help us to focus on the here and now as Christ did, working with the conditions that we have here on earth. Help us to glorify your name in every situation that we come across, Lord. Jesus, we pray that that even though the end is in sight, Lord, that, that you would just do a mighty work through us, that you would change lives through the work that we do, God. I pray that we would just heed that call. And I pray that you would just continue changing us. We pray these things in your holy, precious name. Amen.